Good morning, everybody. It's good to see everybody here. And when I say everybody, I mean everybody. Um, so it's good to see all of you guys. I hope that God is going to encourage us with the word that we hear today, um, strengthen our faith, our love, and our commitment to him uh, through Jesus Christ. So before we even start anything, I do want to pray and then go into our discussion today. So let's pray. Our God and our Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray to you, we call on your name, in dependence upon your help and your grace in our life, and especially in this time, God, as we come to hear your word. And I pray that is what everybody here would hear, is your words, the truth that comes from your mouth for, for mankind. I pray that from the least to the greatest of us, from those who seem spiritual to those who currently right now are unspiritual, that you would have mercy, Lord, and that your word would be spoken to each of our hearts and that we would be touched by it, that we would draw near to you through the truth that we hear. I pray, Father, that your Son, Jesus Christ, is honored um, in our discussion today and that the power of the Holy Spirit would be demonstrated in me, I pray that this would be the case and that it would be demonstrated in those who hear by the ability that they have to hear. We pray for your grace, God. We, we don't have any power. We don't have anything, God, to carry this through. And we, we depend on you wholly in this time. I pray that everybody's lives, as we're going to talk about our sanctification today, I pray that everybody's life who has been called to Christ would be in line with your will as it is revealed in Scripture, that they would become holy and reserved for your purpose. <clears throat> May your word concerning this matter be clear, God. I ask this through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Um, I'm, again, glad to see that we're all here. Today's topic, um, just to kind of continue with where we have been, um, is about our sanctification, right? And before we continue, uh, before we even um, go through with anything else, I do actually just want us to read the verse for our discussion today. So if you guys have your Bibles, if it's not on the screen, and if we can go to Romans chapter 6, verse 19 to, to 23. Romans chapter 6, verse 19 to 23. Okay. So this is what it... This is how it reads. It says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So, as we've been talking in the previous weeks, um, as far as me being up here, we covered a few points um, that are relevant to our Christian life, 
Um, the first being our justification, right? The second being our reconciliation. The third being our adoption. And today, we're going to cover um, the matter of our sanctification, right? And we're going to hold this discussion in the book of Romans with this particular section. And so I just want to give a little bit of context um, that might be relevant. First thing to mention is this letter was written to believers in Rome. And it was a letter that was dictated by Paul to a man named Tertius. You can see that in chapter 16, verse 22. It's one of the largest letters of the Apostle Paul. Um that has been preserved. And in it, Paul clarifies the need for the gospel, the effect of the gospel, and the responsibility of believers in light of the gospel. Now, within this particular chapter, um, two questions are addressed by the Apostle Paul, which kind of help us get an idea of what he's trying to communicate to us here. The first question is, right, and, and the way that Paul really addresses the question is by pretending to be the person who's asking, right? And having heard all about the grace that we receive from the gospel in the first few chapters of this letter, somebody might ask, right, or somebody might think, right, since God gave grace for salvation through the sinfulness of mankind, Shouldn't we continue to sin so that we can receive more grace? Right? God decided that He was going to abundantly give grace because there was a lot of sin going on, right? Which would require more grace, right? So then, so we can receive grace, right? Shouldn't we just sin, right? You see that in um, chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. He says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? The second question is, since we are not using our obedience to the law, as the means by which we are considered righteous persons, don't we have the freedom to sin? Right? Since God is not considering you a righteous person through your obedience to His righteous requirements in His law, or considering you righteous by your obedience to the conscience He's given you, right? doesn't that mean that we have freedom to sin? That's what we could naturally think. I'm not going to be declared righteous by observing the law or by keeping the <clears throat> way that my conscience wants me to go in. Right? So don't I have the freedom to just do whatever I want to do to honor the passions of my flesh, to walk in a way that's contrary to the will of God? And the obvious answer to Paul is what? He says it twice. In verse 15 to... Yeah, in verse 15. What then are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Right. Rather, as he says in both this letter and another letter to the believers in Ephesus... To summarize that idea, God raised us from the dead and created us in Christ Jesus for good works and to live a newness of life. God did not just leave you in your deadness as a believer of Christ, but He raised you again to a new life spiritually so that we might perform good works. We are His workmanship. That's what we read earlier, right? We are the craft of, we are what God has created to demonstrate <clears throat> His glory. And we do that by good works. 
We were saved unto good works, right? having once been God's enemies, so that we might bear fruit for God through Jesus Christ. This is our purpose. This is to end the end to which we have been created again in Christ Jesus. It can be very comfortable to just live under the reality that you've been justified, right? That you've been reconciled to God, that you've been adopted by God. It can be very easy to just get comfortable there, right? But it doesn't end there. God calls us to be set apart and reserved within our lives for His purposes. I like the way, I mean, how could I not, that the Apostle Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 to 15. He says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And He died for all, that those who live might not live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. So, now that we've kind of covered um, the spirit of this section of Paul's letter, let's actually look at these verses. So, I want us to keep our eyes um, in this particular chapter and in this few verses here. Okay, verses 19 to 23. So, Paul starts with an analogy, okay, within these verses, verses 19 to 23, right? He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. He's trying to help us understand the call we have to righteousness, right? And the first thing he starts with is an assumption that we were all at one time slaves of sin, we didn't just read that here, we just heard it in Ephesus. For we were all once led astray, you know, all the things that Paul lays out for us. He says, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, right? Each of us offered ourselves to sin for its purposes. We offered ourselves to sin as instruments. For its desire, we let sin rule over our life. To give us an idea of what this looks like, if we can go to Genesis chapter, or you don't have to go there, don't even go there, there's going to be a verse on the screen. Um, let's look at what God says in this and what we can learn about sin from this, right? The way that sin kind of ruled over our life. It says, The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. This is the call we had from the beginning, is to rule over sin. Sin is personified. It's like made to be somebody. Right? But the problem is what? We didn't rule over sin. Sin ruled over us. And I have a fear that some of us here are still dominated and ruled and under the influence of sin. And if any of us think we're, you know, exempt from this, especially some of those of us who are young, it might be easier to see um, as we get a little bit older. When we lie to friends, when we live lying to friends and family, when we're disobedient to our parents, when we begrudgingly desire that which belongs to somebody else, when we're bitter, right? Controlled by a grudge, 
when we bully others, in the church you might not get away with it. Because people, the older people are going to be like, what are you even doing? Right? When you slander others, I'm not talking about joking, right? You're like, ah, look at that man. No, I'm not talking about that. Slander. When you have beef, <clears throat> unsettled beef in your heart with somebody. When you're stubborn and you're not willing to listen. When you're selfish and greedy. You have sinned. <laughs> this is sin. It may be common in your life, but that doesn't change the fact that objectively, that is sin. So we're all ruled by that. <clears throat> At some point. And so if you hear me speaking right now about these things and you feel I'm kind of under the influence of these things in one way or another, kind of controlled or dominated by those things in one way or another. I've given my will to those things in one way or another. Consider this conversation a call to repentance. Consider this discussion a call to salvation. Consider what we're talking about right now as the means by which you realize I have not really received the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I say these things, I'm not talking to believers who are battling with sin, concerned about sin, who fear God, who want to honor Him by putting away evil, who are struggling against their desire. I'm talking about people who have settled themselves in those things and say, this is how I'm going to be. This is how it will always be with me. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to forgive that person. I'm not going to treat that person with respect. I'm not going to begin to obey my parents. I'm not going to stop lying when it suits, when it's in my best interest. I'm not going to stop. Well, to inform you, you're a slave of sin at that point. But going on, Paul says that sin gets progressively worse in our lives. Right? That's the nature of sin. It hardens the heart. He says, You once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to what? Leading to more lawlessness. It's like doing a particular evil for the first time. You kind of test the waters, see the results, and then you get you go from bad to worse. This is the effect that sin has, or living as slaves of sin has. We could think of countless examples of that, right? Could be about immorality. Once you give yourself up immorally, sexually, if you don't repent, there's less of a fear about it. You wouldn't be as trembling about whether to engage in that activity again. It deteriorates us morally when we're slaves of sin. But Paul doesn't just end there in this part of his analogy, but he actually gives us a command. Right? And the command is this, present your members as slaves 
to righteousness. Right? Sanctification is synergistic. Or like in other words, God is working and we're working. God is working through us, in us, but we're accomplishing what He wills and does through us. Right? A similar idea to this is when Paul says, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit. Right? Saying, Abba, Father. Is the Holy Spirit saying, Abba, Father? Like, is the Holy Spirit recognizing God as His Father? No, that's not what it is. We are doing that. But it's the Holy Spirit working through us, working with our spirit to that end. Calling God our Father. It's synergistic. We are doing something. When it comes to our justification, God declaring you righteous for free as a gift. When it comes to our reconciliation, God bringing you near to Him. No matter where you are, whether you're the most ungodly person in the world or the most familiar with His rules. Whether it's like when it comes to our uh, adoption, right? No matter what you were, whether you were His enemies or not, God is working alone to do those things, to justify you, to reconcile you, to adopt you. You don't have any part in that. God is doing the work. God sends His Son into the world to die for your sin. Without you asking, without you looking for it, God is the one doing that. You just receive it through faith. But in our sanctification, it's not merely a reception right, of grace. It's working out the grace that God places in us. And what exactly then, as Paul says here again, are we supposed to work out righteousness? Right? That's the answer. We present ourselves to righteousness as its slaves. We give ourselves to the purposes of righteousness as a result of being submitted to God. Let's look at James um, chapter 1, verse 1. This, is, this was in the spirit of, the, uh, of James, right? This is in, in the mind of James. When he says, James, a servant of God, or a slave, really, of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersions, greetings. That's how he introduced himself. That's how he thought of himself, having been born again in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. A slave to God. Is that how you would introduce yourself to somebody? Right? You would say, hi, my name is, in my case, Basu, right? And it might just end there. <laughs> it might come with what I like to do in my life. Right? It might come with how I, you know, what type of job I do or whatever. Right? But no, not in this case. Right? James seems to be, at least in this particular portion of Scripture, Consume with that idea. He's a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have this call also in 1 Peter 2.16 that says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. When we do these things, as Paul says, it leads to our sanctification. It leads us to be reserved for the purposes of God. 
we're set apart for His purposes. Even though we have freedom, right? In Christ Jesus, we don't just use our freedoms to do evil. But we submit ourselves to what? To the purposes of God. If we submit ourselves to God, that's what we submit to, is His purposes, what He wants, right? So, going forward, Paul says something uh, rather simple, but I do want to make mention of it. Right? In verse 20, he says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You were free. Right? When you were a slave of sin, when you were, past tense, that means something's changed for those who are in Christ. Right? When you were a slave of sin, you did not have any commitment to the service of righteousness. You did what you wanted under the influence of sin. You were your own Lord, which relative to this context, right? We could say, is the sin of sins. You did what you wanted. You did what you pleased, according to what your mind desired, according to what your body desired. You did that. And if you're still doing that, as a slave, not as a struggler, not as someone fighting, if you're still doing that, Please hear this, not as your experience in Christ. Something that you are still in. A slave to sin. Which we're going to see is not good for you in this life or in the next. But for those of us who have Acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive the grace of God. Have been born again, regenerated. We once, when we were slaves of sin, were free in regard to righteousness. Again, we didn't commit ourselves to those things which righteousness calls us to. We didn't think to ourselves like, when I do this, am I going to displease God? When I do this, am I going to dishonor God? When I do this, like, is this going to be in any way wrong in His sight? We were free in regard to righteousness. Then Paul draws a contrast in the next verse, right? Which says, But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? Right? The deeds you once lived in as a slave to sin. The deeds you once lived in to please yourself under the influence and control and dominion of sin. What were you getting? What was the result of those things? Of which those who are in Christ are what? Now what? Now ashamed. What were you getting from lying? What were you getting from Stealing, being a thief, perhaps in your own household, perhaps in your relationship somewhere in this world. What were you getting from being greedy, from having hatred and gossip and immorality within yourselves? What were you getting? Broken relationships? 
cold-hearted. Unsatisfiable. The end of those things is death. Death in all its forms. Paul might have a particular concern here with eternal death. But nevertheless, Scripture is clear, and I think it's going to be relevant to make this point now, that when we are slaves of sin, what we get out of that slavery is death in every kind of form. Spiritually, we're deteriorated, right? We're degraded. We look at people in their eyes and lie straight to their face. And we don't even flinch or blush. Look at the righteous. When they lie, they can't help but struggle in their lie. <laughs> they move their lips funny and they're like, ah, you know. Okay. You are being darkened by sin. We see death temporarily or temporally, right? In this life, we just die. I wasn't born with a beard. It's coming with my age. I wasn't born with a lot of things now that I have, right? But I wasn't born with those things. I'm getting older and I'm going to die one day because I have sinned. Right? That's just the Assurance that God gives to mankind. If you sin against me, you'll die. Right? And then eternally. Right? Eternally, you will perish. And we'll look at that more in the next um, few verses. So Paul draws another contrast. He introduces another contrast, right? And that is the contrast between the results of being a slave to sin and a slave to righteousness. We saw what the result of being a slave to sin was. You don't get anything good out of it, by the way. Right? Besides temporary, like, I don't even know, like temporary satisfaction from however you intend to preserve yourself through sin. Right? Like we said, whether it be lying and escaping the situation that you just lied yourself through. Right? Like, oh, yes, I get what I want. Right? My parents can leave me alone because I just told them some nonsense. Right? I made up a story. <laughs> or sexually immoral conduct. That gratification that you get. It's there. It's gone. What, what were you getting out of those things? Nothing good. You were getting death, right? But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, what? The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. The fruit you get from being a slave to God leads you to be more holy unto Him. The fruits individually build holy character in the believer. They make up a holy person unto God. This is the result of committing yourself, committing ourselves to God's will, to doing what God wants, to saying, no matter what happens to me, though you slay me, yet I will praise you. Like, no matter what it is, just as our Lord Jesus in the garden went through, right? 
He's broken. Just as any of us would be. By the fact that he's going to have to be crucified. He's going to have to endure capital punishment. You wouldn't be broken by that? If you couldn't escape the law, if you couldn't escape enforcers of the law who said, we're going to have to execute you, right? You wouldn't be troubled by that? But nevertheless, what did our Lord say? If it's possible, right? Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, though, right? It's so important. Nevertheless, not my will, but what? Your will be done. When we commit ourselves to God, it doesn't mean life is going to be necessarily blissful in, in our circumstances, right? We might have to die for Christ on the extreme end, right? You might have to suffer loss here on earth. But what you get out of that commitment is sanctification. And what's the end of sanctification, according to Paul? What does it say? Eternal life. Listen carefully to this point I'm going to make here, okay? You only get to experience eternal life as one on the path of sanctification. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. It's on the screen if anybody just wants to keep from flipping. It says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness. What? Without which no one will see the Lord. If you're not being sanctified, you will not see God. If you're not being made holy, you will not see God. And let's look at our Lord's words in Luke chapter 13, verse 24 to 27. Uh, is 27 there too as well? Okay. It says, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter, but will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stay, stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you. I don't know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. Right? We were in the fellowship. Sunday mornings. We had communion. Having been baptized. We heard the word of God preached to us. We heard about your love and all this stuff. About your ways. But he will say, I tell you, I don't know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. People who work out evil, who are slaves to sin, will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you are not being sanctified, if you are not on the path of sanctification, you will not see God. If you are not daily committing yourself to the will of God, if that does not characterize your life, you will not see Him. Don't be deceived. (laughs) 
you'll come to heaven, you'll come to the judgment seat of God through Christ Jesus and the Lord Jesus Christ, the judge of all the earth will tell you, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, all you workers of evil, all you workers of lawlessness, all you people who reject the will of God for your lives, who committed yourself to your own pleasure and your own passions, who were slaves of sin, when you should have been a slave to God, when you should have repented and followed me. What does that mean, though, in light of what we talked about already these past couple weeks? Because we said what? We were justified, right? By grace. And we mean that. We're justified by grace through faith alone. We're declared people who are blameless, righteous in the sight of God as people who have kept His requirements, right? who have never gone against their conscience, right? who have never gone against His holy law. We're like We're put in a place positionally in the presence of God where we're such people. So like, in some sense, irregardless, okay, I just want you to take very carefully what I'm saying here, irregardless of how you live, if you sinned, and other, that's probably a better way to put that, in Christ Jesus, this is not a position you all of a sudden lose. You will continue to be people who are marked as blameless, as justified, as forgiven. No matter how many times in Christ Jesus, quantitatively, right, you sin. It's not like after a thousand sins, right, you're not justified anymore. If that was the case, if there was some point in time where you, like, after some sins, right, you just lost your right standing with God, you would have lost that right after you converted. Week, a week, give it a week, right? You would have lost that. Let's just say your zeal and your passion runs out and all of a sudden you fall. You would have lost that. Place in the sight of God. Our reconciliation is because of sin we were separated from God, right? It's because we went our own way, as Isaiah says, right? God reconciled us though, even in that place. But if it was that after some amount of sins, right? We would have lost our reconciliation, right? We would have lost it a week later. And Christ would have to die again. And we would have to continually receive Him as our Savior. Our adoption, imagine, being an enemy of God, being a child. Being an enemy, being a child. Being an enemy, being a child. That was how it would be. That would be how you lived your whole life. These things come to us by the grace of God, by the unmerited kindness of God. They are not something due to us. It's a gift. When you work, what you receive is your due, right? When you do your job at whatever you, wherever you work at, once you've worked a certain amount of hours in the week, what you get on your paycheck is what is due to you, right? For your labor. What we've received in Christ, though, it's not something due to us. It's a gift from God that we receive by faith and that we hold on to through faith alone. 
So sanctification is not the condition for you to have eternal life or be reconciled to God or adopted by God. Right? Nor is it the means by which, oh, if I live this life, I'm going to be reconciled. If I live this life, I'm going to be adopted. Right? Maybe God is going to reconcile me through saying, no. But it is the necessary result of being saved. You can't be saved and not sanctified. You can't be called out, of, out by God from the world, justified, reconciled, adopted, and not be holy unto Him. You can't if you are saved. It's one of those things we talked about last week, right? A little bit. Nobody can say, right? Jesus is Lord, right? With a genuine conviction. Nobody can say that apart from the Holy Spirit of God. Nobody in truth can relate with God or refer to God as Father apart from the Spirit's witness in them. You can't be saved, right? You cannot be considered as someone saved. Right? If you are not being sanctified. Could there be a season of your life where you're discouraged? Where because of sin, you backslide? Yeah. Even as a disciple of the Lord. Yes. But don't take that as your get-out-of-jail-free card or the rest for your conscience if you are living in sin. Do not take that as the thing to give you comfort when you are living in rebellion, when you don't care about the, what God thinks. When you honestly can't even wait till you can leave the faith. When you can start doing what you want to do. It's so necessary that without it, none of us will see God. None of us. Somebody put it really well. If we're confused about the relationship between our faith and our works, somebody put it really well and said, we're saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves, that confidence in God and in His promise which saves, that's never alone. <laughs> it's not just saying, God said that. I'm going to say I believe that. It's a conviction from the heart. What did Paul say? If you confess with your mouth and what? And believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. We're saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves and the process of salvation, the will of God in our salvation, I should say, it's never alone. And so Paul really summarizes his point here, right? In verse 23. When he says, 
for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? Eternal life is a gift that comes by trusting in Jesus Christ as the only Savior among mankind. As trusting in Him as the one who saves me by His death on my behalf for my sin. as trusting in Him as the one who by His resurrection has secured my future expectation of eternal life. By trusting in Him as your Lord. But nevertheless, those who have received Christ having been justified, having been reconciled, having been adopted, will also be, what? What will they also be? Sanctified. So, if we were to summarize the points that we made It would be that we were all once people who offered ourselves to disobedience as slaves. Those of us who are in Christ, it, it comes with that once. That we were once. We subjected ourselves to His purpose and lived answering the door to its desire. We were enslaved to sin. The result of being slaves to sin were damaging to the soul. Spiritually, temporally, and eternally. And that God, having given us new life in our regeneration, causes us to wholly commit ourselves to His purpose and be free as it regards our former enslavement to sin. I wish I could have talked about putting sin to death here, right? What that looks like or what the call of Scripture is related to that. But it might be good to start here. Somebody might pick it up. To start with the call of God that we have having been saved, having been justified, reconciled, adopted. To righteousness, the call of God we have to righteousness. So this is a necessary part of our experience in salvation. By living on this path, we know right, that we personally have been justified, that we have been reconciled, that we have been adopted, and without it, we won't see the Lord. It's a confirmation that we haven't been regenerated. It's not the condition for our justification or our reconciliation or eternal life. We said what? It's a free gift. But it is the sure result of having received those graces by faith alone. So I want us to, if we can, there's going to be a verse. I want us to all stand, if we can. And I want us to read this verse, understanding that this is a call from God to us. And then I want to open the time up, just a few minutes, to any questions. The series that I was doing is done. So I just want to open up some time to any questions um, that come after this and some in prayer. So it says, can we all read it together? I've heard, I've heard us do that before. Let's see if we can do that here, okay? I'm going to start. I'm going to try to go slow. Let's just try to do this together, okay? D don't interrupt me, though. <laughs> <laughs> 
because I will mess up if you interrupt me, okay? Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. You can take a seat. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, through our Lord Jesus Christ, we come to you in faith that he has saved us, that he has been the cause of our justification, our reconciliation to you, and our adoption to you as children. That through his death and resurrection, we have, by faith, eternal life. We come to you in that conviction, God. We believe that that is the acceptable place to stand according to you based on the scriptures we've received. And we just ask, God, that your presence and your spirit would really touch us concerning this matter that we have heard, that your spirit would work in our spirit to convict us personally and cause us to be people who are committed to doing your will no matter what. People who are slaves to the righteous things that you call us to in faith toward you. Not just doers of good, but people who do it through faith. Who do it compelled by the love of Christ. Touch each of us, God. I beg you in the name of the Lord, please touch each of us. That we would be compelled by the love of Jesus Christ, expressed in His works and in His truth and His teaching and in our salvation. Help us to be people who are convinced and touched by that, God. We depend upon you through the Holy Spirit to do this. Because if you don't touch us by the Spirit, we can't. We're slaves to sin. Without the Spirit working in us, without the Spirit helping us, we are weak by the flesh. We are controlled and influenced by the flesh. So help us, God, by your Spirit, to be convinced of this reality, to honor this reality, to live in light of this reality. And as I said before, God, so I pray now in faith, and I believe in the Spirit. Please help those who have heard, have seen that they are not on this path, have seen that they are not on the path of being more and more holy to God, more and more reserved for the purposes of God. Help them, O God, to know if that is where they are settled and unrepentant, to know that they have not known you or the Lord Jesus Christ. That they have to repent. That they have to forsake their way. And they have to turn to you through Jesus Christ for salvation, which comes by your kindness through faith alone, which sanctifies us, which causes us by your Spirit to be holy unto you, new creatures. Touch us each here. And those of us who have received the Lord Jesus Christ, who believe that we are walking with the Lord and trusting in the Lord, even though our lives may not be spiritually perfect or excellent yet. Help those of us who have put our trust in the Lord and are looking to honor the Lord and please the Lord to do so more and more with greater conviction, with greater passion, with greater love, for your light to shine through us in this world and in the church. We pray to you, God, that you would do this. We commit ourselves to your will, as the scripture has said. 
I just pray that your will would be done in our lives. That we wouldn't do anything apart from your will. That we would not be content living outside of your will, but take great joy in living according to your will. I ask all of this, thanking you again, God, for the grace given to me, and I pray the grace that was given to those who hear. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, just a few minutes um, while I'm up here. Is there any questions related to the things that we have discussed? There's no microphone, so you're going to have to talk up or speak up. I can't hear. Yeah. Hi. Amen. 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 When you said, if we're not on the path of sanctification, yeah. we will not see God. Yeah. Um, when I think about what you said, mm-hmm. and what the Apostle Paul said about uh, which is confessing with your mouth yeah. and believing in your heart, then that gives us justification, right? But then you're saying that me back to when the church was um, crucified with Jesus. And at that point, you know, once you believe in Jesus, he died and Jesus rose on, you know, that night he was there another time. Was was he able to see and die? He was not on the path for sanctification. He was justified. But maybe can you clarify that for yeah. the mind for yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really good question because you, you're going to have to face matters like that in Scripture and even that idea in reality, right, that somebody could accept Christ and not live very long to bear fruit for God, right? The life we're given is to that end, right? Paul says, while I'm in the flesh, right, I can bear fruit for God, right? But I'd rather, you know, like, I can go to the Lord, and, but I'd miss, miss out on that opportunity, so it's a, it's a really good question. Um, it comes back to the point that I made, right? It's not a condition of salvation, but it's the necessary result of salvation. If you're given enough time, that's what comes with it. As soon as you really repent, that's, a, that's the road you enter. Right? I mean, think about some of the deeds in the book of Acts um, where people who were pagan repented. Some were magicians and all these other things that were forbidden according to God's will. And what did they do? Like upon repentance, they got their stuff and they burned it, right? So was burning it their salvation? No, but it's the fruit of salvation. It's, it's what has to come according to the purpose of God in our salvation, right? For us to really like truly consider ourselves saved. We're not saved by it, but it is the result of salvation that has to follow. It's like if you're justified, you're going to be reconciled too, right? And if you're recon- you're going to be adopted too, right? And if you're all those things, you're going to go to heaven, right? It's like what comes with it. And you can't say, I'm going to have this without this. It's going to come with... Um, the package, I guess, if we could put it that way, of God's salvation. So it's not a condition, but it is, it, it follows. It has to, for that salvation to be real, if you're given enough time, it has to follow. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of like, like what you said about, you said fellowship about, you know, how they say like faith without works. Obviously, we learned about today, like, it's through the grace of God, right? Like, it's not through our own works that yeah. 
For salvation, yeah. Yeah. But even even with that guy, what did he tell the guy next to him? He said, modern vernacular, right? Keep quiet. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? <laughs> I could have said something else, but keep quiet. Right? How was his faith expressed there? He, he's like, this man is innocent, right? We deserve to be here. This man's innocent. There's no salvation where you're like, I hate God, I don't love God, I'm not going to follow God, but I'm saved. Right? Salvation doesn't exist in that person. They haven't received it. Right? But God touched that man's heart, right? Put faith in him, right? Which saved him, right? And that faith was expressed by telling the guy and Expressing his conviction of the innocence of Jesus Christ. So, faith without works is dead. But what's dead? Faith is. Right? That's the concern. That's, that's the means by which God saves through Jesus Christ. Right? It's by faith and faith alone in his promise. That's what he did with Abraham. That's the last point I'll make. He did that with Abraham. Told Abraham... Right, a particular promise. Abraham believed, and in the following verses, what does it say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Exactly. Yeah, that's a demonstration. So the demonstration is not the condition, but it will it will come with faith. Anybody else? Okay, I am done.